Good morning, another Sunday, another snow day. <laughs> Give somebody a high five next to you and say, you made it to church. Give them a high five. Yeah, you, you made it to church too. Hey, thank you for being here. My name is Matt Mizell. I'm the lead pastor here at this church. I'm so thankful that you chose to brave the snow outside. It's already dissipating, so when you leave here, I'm sure it will be all gone. So it's all good. But we are continuing on our series called Core. We started this last week. It's all about what we find most valuable and most important to us. In fact, last week I told the story about how uh, the, when my wife and I lived in San Diego, North County, San Diego, there's a lot of wildfires that were burning around us. And so at the first, for the first time, my wife and I had the conversation, if our house were to catch on fire, what would we take? What's most important? What's most valuable to us? I think it was Patrick Lencioni. He once said, if everything is important, then nothing is important. So what's most important? What's most valuable to us? We had that conversation a couple years ago. Last week, I challenged the congregation. I said, you should have the conversation with your spouse. Go home at some point over dinner. Bring up the conversation. If our house were to happen to catch on fire, what would we throw in the car? What would we take with us? Talk with your kids. Talk with your spouse about that. Well, a gentleman came up to me last week. I'll leave him anonymous. We'll just call him Fred. And uh, Fred comes up to me. He says, Matt, I, uh, I, you'd be proud of me. I did what you said I should do. I said, what again did I ask you to do? He's like, you told me to talk to my wife. If our house were to catch on fire, what would we throw in the car? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, how did that conversation go? And so he said, well, my wife will leave her anonymous. We'll call her Lori. So Fred talks to Lori. And, and he says, honey, if our house were to catch on fire, what would you throw in the car? And she said, well, honey, I would probably take the cats out of the house and I'd throw them into the car. I would save the cats. At which point Lori said to Fred, she's like, what about you? If our house were to catch on fire, what would you do? And, and Fred said, well, I would probably open up the car door, take the cats and throw them back in the house. <laughs> now we're in marriage counseling. <laughs> Uh, sometimes the things that we, we say are valuable to us, sometimes we're not on the same page. But having a discussion can help us become on the same page. I, I don't want to be somebody who gets up here and talks about what's most valuable. Uh, I don't want my, my words to be meaningless. The great theologian Bob Marley once said, <laughs> Bob Marley said this. He said, as a man sow, shall he reap, and as I know that talk is cheap. We could say what's most important to us all day long, but if our actions don't back that up, then it's not really important to us. It's not valuable to us. Our actions should, should show and demonstrate what's most important. Jesus got onto people all the time who are hypocrites, who said one thing and did another when their actions didn't back up their words. At one point in Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He gives this warning. He says, beware of false prophets. Beware of false prophets. In other words, people who are claiming to be speakers or, or voice pieces of the Lord, but they're, they're not living that lifestyle. They're actually doing other things in their life. He says, beware of false prophets. Verse 15, he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They're wolves on the inside. They, they have a front on the outside. They look nice and calm and approachable on the outside, but inside they want to cause destruction. And here's what Jesus says. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Based on their actions, based on what they produce, that's how you will recognize them. If you have a plant, a fruit plant, and you plant the seed, you then got to water the seed, and then you've got to perhaps prune the seed and help the, the, the seed grow into a plant. Those actions eventually lead to fruit. If you're taking notes this morning in your program, you can write that down. Action leads to fruit. Your actions lead to fruit. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3.8. He said, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be each rewarded according for their own labor. Point being that when you take action, when you do stuff, it will lead to the fruit. 
I don't want to be somebody who just talks about doing stuff. I don't want to be somebody who just says, hey, here's what's important. Here's what's valuable, valuable to my life. I want my actions to show that. Last week, we talked about how I, I sat down with the board recently and said, hey, let's clarify what our values are, what's most important to this church. And we clarified our seven core values. And those core values are on the screen. They're as follows. It's God, God's word, all people, the church, community, discipleship, and service. Those are our seven core values, the things that are most important and most valuable to us. Last week, I talked about God and his word. And if you missed that message last week, I'd encourage you, go back to phcc.church and watch the live stream replay. You can watch last week's message. But today, we're going to dive in with the third and the fourth core value, all people in the church. So let's jump in with core value number three, all people. Now, Jesus tells a story that kind of illustrates why we should uh, value all people. And the story that he talks about, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 10. If you have your old school paper Bible, your physical Bible, uh, and by the way, I would encourage you to bring your Bible so you can mark them up and highlight them and whatnot. Anyway, you can open up your Bible to Luke chapter 10, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can follow along in the program. And speaking of the program, in 2019, we are relaunching all of our life groups and we're going to a, a sermon-based model. So when you come here to church, it's actually equipping you to have a conversation in the living room with somebody else. So you're prepared. You're doing the homework by simply showing up here. So when you pull out your program notes, you can take notes and then bring that to your life group later on. We're going to have more information about life groups in the coming weeks. But you can bring your notes with you because you've already done your homework. You're already prepared when, when you go into that conversation. By the way, we're looking for more life group leaders. If you're interested in leading that discussion, uh, Pastor Tim will be on the plaza after the service to talk to you. Anyway, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law, everybody say expert. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Everybody say test. That was not very good. I know it's snowing outside. I know this is the second service. Let's try one more time. Say expert. Say test. I find this rather humorous. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, here's why I find this rather funny. An expert in the law, what the law is referring to is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, it's, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deut Deuteronomy. Those are the five first books of the Bible. That's in the Torah. That's referring to the law. So an expert in God's word comes to Jesus, God in the flesh, and tests him. <laughs> I find this rather funny. An expert in God's word goes to test God in his own word. Kind of reminds me of a video I saw recently of a, of a kid who I would define as a, as a genius. This guy was on a TV show, and he's asked to spell words, and not just spell them, but guess words, but there's vowels missing. It's to guess the words and spell them, but then he's asked to spell them backwards. This guy is like mind-blowing. I have a clip for you. Check out this kid who's on the show called Genius Junior. You have 90 seconds. Your time starts now. What's this seven-letter word? Sensory. Correct. Spell it backwards. Y R O S N E S. Sensory. Correct. What's this 10-letter word? Microscope. Correct. Spell it backwards. E P O C S O R C I M. Microscope. Correct. What's this 12-letter word? Technicality. Correct. Spell it backwards. Y T I L A C I N H C E T. Technicality. Correct. What's this 14-letter word? Unquantifiable. Correct. Spell it backwards. E-L-V-A-I-F-I-T-N-A-U-Q-N-U. Unquantifiable. Correct. What's this eight-letter word? Poignant. Correct. Spell it backwards. T-N-A-N-G-I-O-P. Poignant. Correct. What's this 10-letter word? Hootenanny. Correct. Spell it backwards. Y-N-N-A-N-E-T-O-O-H. Hootenanny. 
curious. Anybody willing to take down that kid on a spelling bee? Yeah, right. I went to the, the eighth grade spelling bee, and they, they had me stand up in front of my friends and my family, and they're like, uh, okay, it's the English spelling bee. Spell the word tortilla. I'm in eighth grade. Like, you said this is the English spelling bee, right? Okay. All right. Tortilla. T-O-R-T-I-A. <laughs> Sit down, white boy. <laughs> Who knew that English has a double silent L in tortilla? I didn't know that our words had that. There's no way I would challenge this kid in a spelling bee. I'm not very good at spelling. In fact, to be honest with you, I don't even know some of the words that this kid was saying. Uh, last night, uh, I, was, I was watching the, through this video, and I was like, hootenanny. What in the world is a hootenanny? Just curious. Does anybody know what a hootenanny is? Does anybody? You know what a hootenanny is? Come up on stage real quick. <laughs> what, what is a hootenanny, sir? It's a what? It's a get-together. We have the, we have the definition of hootenanny. Uh, this is a <laughs> hootenanny. It's an informal gathering with folk music and sometimes dancing. And I would say that our worship here at Pinion Hills Community Church is sometimes folky. It's kind of folk music, which, I mean, if you just start, you know, jamming in your seats. Well, I mean, I'm just saying that every Sunday we can have a hootenanny together. You, you and me, we can have a, a hootenanny in the 1030 service. Last night, I asked my wife, I was like, babe, have you ever heard of a hootenanny before? She's like, what'd you call me? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call you anything. <laughs> I can't imagine challenging this spelling bee kid and, and thinking that I'm going to go up against an expert like that and think that I'm going to take him on. This expert in God's word goes to, of all people, Jesus, God in the flesh, and tests him. And it sounds completely absurd. It sounds humorous to me. Yet the interesting thing is that you and I do the very same thing almost every single day. And here's what I mean by that. Anytime that you sin, Anytime that you do something that you know is in God's word, but you do contradictory to that, you are basically communicating to God, I know better than you, God. I know your word says all sorts of different things. I know your word says I shouldn't get drunk, but I'm going to go and get drunk anyways. I know your word says, in God's word, it says we shouldn't look at any defiled images, but, but I'm going to keep looking at porn, pornography anyways. In fact, I'm addicted to it. I know your word, God says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but I'm going to cheat on my taxes anyways. I know your word says don't plant myself in tempting situations, but I'm going to do that over and over and over. I'm going to put myself where I want. I'm going to live how I want. My life is my life. My life, I, I know my life better than you, God, even though he's the author of life. We sometimes communicate based on our actions that we know better than God. Sometimes that's a result of pride. I know better than God. My ways are better than God's ways. Solomon says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. He says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. This is where we get the phrase, pride comes before the fall. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this in. We sin when we think we know better than God. When do we sin? We sin when we think we know better than God. I don't have to listen to God's word. I'm smarter than God. That's the interesting thing. I, I find it rather, rather humorous that this expert in God's word of all people goes to Jesus to test Jesus. Sounds absurd, even though you and I are guilty of this all the time. Jesus could crack the whip. He could be very upset at this expert in the law. He could be like, you know what? I'm the son of God, sucker. Get in line or I'll send you to hell. I mean, he could say all sorts of different things. 
but instead he's very gracious, he's very kind. Here's what Jesus says in response to this, this uh, expert in the law. The expert had said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds in verse 26. He says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The expert in the, in the law, an expert in God's word, verse 27, he, he answered, he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. At which point Jesus is like, yep, nailed it. You've answered, answered correctly. Do this and you will live. At which point the expert in the law could have just failed. He could have just been like, cool. Like I intended to, to test Jesus, but Jesus flipped it on me and test me. But I got an A+. He said, I got the answer correct. He could have just walked away and lived a happy life by loving God and loving others. Could have been just that simple. But the expert of the law wanted to push it a little bit further. And, and we'll see why. Verse 29, here's what, he's, well, here's what happens. But he wanted to justify himself. The expert of the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He just said, Jesus said, what, what do you see in the law? How do you inherit eternal life? The expert of law, love God and love my neighbor. Jesus says, yep, you nailed it. And he's like, well, define neighbor. And it says he wanted to justify himself. That word in the original Greek, it's dikeo, which means this, to be made righteous. He wanted to make himself righteous in the eyes of Jesus because, because perhaps he was loving some people. But there's people in his life that he was not loving. Define for me, Jesus, who neighbor is so I can make sure I get the answers correct. Because I don't want to love everybody. I don't want to love all the people. I want to love maybe this person, this person, this person. Just define for me, Jesus, who I have to love because I don't want to love everyone I come across. In other words, Jesus, I'll, I'll do part of what you ask. I'll do half maybe. But there's people I'm not going to love. I saw a video recently and saw in the news actually a man who decided to go hang gliding over, I think it was the Swiss Alps. So he signed up for hang gliding, and uh, he had an instructor, a pilot, to go with him to go tandem. So they would both be strapped into this hang glider and then go take a beautiful uh, flight over the Alps. And when they were about to go, the pilot had strapped himself in, but he only did half the job. He strapped himself, but he forgot to strap the guy going with him. And they took off, and the guy realizes, the guy that's the, the first time going, he realizes, I'm not connected to anything. I'm holding on literally for dear life. This went viral all, all over the internet. It was on CNN. If you didn't see it, I brought a clip this morning for you to check this guy out holding on for dear life. Check out this hang gliding flight.
wants to go hang gliding. <laughs> oh my goodness, some of you, I, I could hear the whispering while the video is playing. My heart's even beating fast just watching the replay of this. I can't imagine what that would be like. The pilot later on was like, I didn't mean to not strap you in. Obviously, I wasn't trying to kill you, but when you do only half the job, it results in potentially a life-threatening situation. The guy that, that was dropped off, the guy that wasn't connected, he shattered his left wrist. And at the same time, they found out later on that he tore his left bicep in half by trying to hold on so tightly. Life and death situation, uh, when you do half the job, this expert in the law comes to Jesus and he says, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what do you think? What do you read in the law? Well, love God and love your neighbors. Jesus says, that's right. Do that and you will have life. This is also a life and death type of situation as we unpack this. But the guy's like, well, who am I supposed to love exactly? Can you define neighbor for me? Because I don't want to love everybody. I just want to love the bare minimum that I'm required to love. So again, rather than Jesus cracking the whip and getting angry at this guy, he decides to tell him a story to illustrate who exactly our neighbor is. And the story that he tells we know is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the parable of the Good Samaritan, oftentimes you, you perhaps are familiar with that story, and if not, that's okay, we're going to jump into it. But it comes as a result of a guy saying, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Jesus tells the story, parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, he's replying to the expert in the law, he said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now let me stop there for just a second. Uh, we've talked about parables before. Parables are unreal stories that make a real point. Oftentimes Jesus would create a fabricated story to make a real point, a godly point that he wanted to stick in people's minds. Oftentimes a parable, he would start with saying, you know, suppose a man went on a journey. Suppose this happened to somebody. But in this case, this particular parable, it starts off by saying, Jesus says, a man was going on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Now, a lot of theologians believe that there's a chance this story wasn't actually fabricated. It wasn't actually made up. Even though it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, some people believe that it actually went down as he described. And here's part of the reason why. There actually is a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and it says that this guy was beaten up by robbers. They left him half dead. That road between Jerusalem and Jericho is a road that's commonly referred to 2,000 years ago as the Way of the Dead. That's what they would call this, this particular road. It was a very windy road. It had lots of places for people to hide, so people would get ambushed all the time and be left for dead there all the time. Oddly enough, it kind of reminds me of my honeymoon. <laughs> I don't know if you know this about me, but my wife and I got married on July 24th, 2009 in Cancun, Mexico. We had 42 people come down there, join with us for our, our wedding. It was a great time. Day after our wedding, we started our honeymoon. We had little wristbands from our resort, and, and they were uh, valid in, uh, in any one of these, these uh, resorts throughout Mexico that are part of the same group. And there was some of these resorts down in Playa del Carmen a couple hours south of Cancun. So my wife and I, day after we got married, we rented a Jeep Wrangler, drove a couple hours south down to Playa del Carmen, checked in at a resort, and we were looking around at the resort, had, had a meal there. Then we started walking around the town of Playa del Carmen. So we spent a couple hours out there looking at shops and whatnot. Sun's about to go down. It's getting dark. And so we're like, we should probably go back to the resort, get back in the Jeep and drive back to Cancun. So we start heading back to the resort. But we're like, where again was the resort? <laughs> we're walking around town. We're like, okay, go down this street to this street. Did we come, come down this street? I can't remember exactly where we turned. So we're trying to figure out the resort, where, we're, where our Jeep is parked. We don't have phones. We don't have GPS. We're just walking around Playa del Carmen, having no idea where we're going. 
we're walking down one street, and it occurs to me at one point, I think the resort is one street over parallel to the street that we're walking on. I think it's one street over. So at one point, there was an alleyway that connected those two roads. And I was like, babe, let's go down this alleyway to get to the other street. So we start walking down this alleyway. I'm holding her hand. And there's a man who starts following us down this dark alley. So I'm walking with my wife. I haven't even been married for a day yet. (laughs) Walking down this back alley thinking, this probably wasn't a good idea. This man gets closer and closer and closer. And I'm thinking, what what happens if this guy jumps me? Like, what what if he pulls out a gun or a switchblade or something? Like, do do I have to fight in front of my new wife? Like, she's going to discover I'm a pansy. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do? So I'm holding my wife's hand. She's on my right. This guy comes up to my left, and he gets all real close to me, and he whispers in my ear. He's like, amigo, which which is very strange. Like, why are you whispering in my ear? And then he says this. He's like, you want any weed? (laughs) I'm like, no, if I wanted weed, I'd go to Durango because it's, you know, everywhere in Durango. (laughs) But I don't know what to tell this guy. I'm holding my wife's hand, and I'm like, I why is he even whispering in my ear? Does he think that I'm going to, like, do a drug deal with him without my wife hearing? Like, yeah, slip me uh, some drugs. I'll give you a 50. My wife doesn't have to find out about it. Like, why is he whispering? Why didn't he just come up behind? Hey, guys, you look like the newlyweds. You want to smoke weed? No, we, we don't. We keep walking. I'm like, I, 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 I don't know why, but I whisper back to him. I'm like, no, gracias. <laughs> And then I really go faster, let's go faster, let's go faster. We get out of the, the, the back alley, thankfully, we don't get jumped. That would have made for a very poor honeymoon. <laughs> but, but it makes me think of this story. There's people that get jumped all the time on the way of the blood. They're going down the road, and, and people, I'm sure, just want to get off that road as soon as they possibly can. So when somebody gets jumped, when somebody's left there for dead, I can only imagine that it, people don't want to stick around and be like, well, how is this person doing? I want to help this person. They want to get off this road as soon as possible. So when we continue the story. Jesus continues in verse 31. This guy's been beaten up. He's been left half dead on the side of the road. Verse 31, a priest happens to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. Now, oftentimes when people go through the story, they're like, whoa, shame on the priest, shame on that guy. In fact, verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. A lot of people give a, a, a lot of heat to these guys for not doing that, but for not stopping and helping him. But, but I get it. Because if you're going through a bad part of town and you see a hitchhiker and you're like, okay, uh, you know, there's a prison right over here. Maybe there's somebody that got out of jail. Like sometimes you see a hitchhiker, you could stop, you could pull over and help that person. But sometimes you just keep driving because it's not worth the risk to you. What if this guy jumps you? What if he robs you when you stop to try to help him? So a priest comes by this bleeding man. He passes on the other side. A Levite passes by on the other side. Neither one of them stops to help the guy. I understand that. That makes sense. But then what doesn't make sense is verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now here's why this is surprising to me. More than likely, the guy that's beat up on the side of the road is a Jewish man. And for anybody to stop on the way of the blood, on this violent road, for anybody to stop is somewhat surprising to me, but it's more surprising that a Samaritan stopped. And here's why. Samaritans don't like the Jews, and the Jews don't like the Samaritans. And when I say they don't like, they, they got beef with each other. There's bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jews, and the Jews and the Samaritans. And, and get this, here's why. Here's why they don't like each other. Because they worship God differently. They have similar beliefs, 
similar faith structure, but the Jews said, hey, we got to go over to this mountain and we worship God by this mountain. The Samaritans are like, no, 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 we, we worship God, same God, but we're going to worship over, over here by this mountain. They worship in different places in different ways, and therefore they hated each other. How childish is that? Yet here we are in 2019, and some churches don't like other churches because of how they worship. How sad. People from that church don't like people from this church. Oh, we don't like people from that church because they play drums in their worship set. How dare them play drums in their worship set? You can't play drums praising God. Some people in this church, some people like, they don't like people in that church. They play electric guitar in their worship. We don't like those people because they play electric guitar. Some people from this church don't like people from that church. They have music. (laughs) We don't like music. People from this church don't like people from that church. They allow dancing. How dare them dance before God? People from that church don't like people from that church. We don't like that preacher. He's too funny. You can't laugh in church. People from that church don't like people in that church. That preacher's too boring. (laughs) We need to laugh more in church. So sad to me when churches have beef with other churches, saying we're better than you. We worship God better than you. One of the values that we have, the fourth core value in this church is the church. And when I say we value the church, we value the kingdom of God, the bride of Christ, not just this particular congregation. We value the entire church. Can you imagine what it would be like if Pinion Hills Community Church was the only church congregation in the state of New Mexico? Some of you would be like, well, there'd be 50,000 people that would come here. We'd have a huge audience in our congregation. I don't think that would be the reality. I think there'd be another 50,000 people who don't know Jesus. I am thankful that other churches exist. I am thankful for other Bible-teaching, gospel-preaching churches. And even if they look different than this church, even if they worship differently than this church, I am so thankful that this is not the only congregation. Now, I do love this congregation. I love the people that happen to call them their home, Pinion Hills Community Church. I, I, I love this particular group of people. But, but I don't say, hey, we are the best, we are the biggest, we are the coolest, and to hell with everybody else. I'm so thankful for other Bible-teaching churches. Because the reality is that I value all people. And if all people are valuable, I want all people everywhere to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And whether that's through this stage or some other stage, I don't care where. I don't care where they hear about Jesus as long as they're hearing about Jesus. Paul said this in the book of Colossians chapter 3. He said, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. He lives in all of us. You could go to any other church, and they have wonky, weird worship. Christ is all that matters. Are they preaching the word of God? That's all that matters. Their preacher could look different. Maybe the preacher's wearing a white robe when he comes up on stage. Christ is all that matters. All these little variations, they don't matter. I can't stand it when churches have beef with other churches. We're on the same team. We need to do less of this, more of this. We need to be joining together saying, hey, we encourage you. We support you. Even though we worship different, even though our churches look different, we want to encourage what you're doing because you are reaching people for Jesus Christ. 
That's what we should be about. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans hate the Jews. The Jews hate the Samaritans so much. At one point, some of their people snuck over to the town where the Samaritans lived, and they tore down their temple. How sad. Because they're not just tearing down their temple. They're, they're tearing down their faith. They're tearing down their, their livelihood. Tearing down their thoughts, their opinions. Bob Goff once said, he wrote in his book, Everybody Always, he said, burning down people's opinions doesn't make us right, it makes us arsonists. Samaritans are ticked off at the Jews, the Jews ticked off at the Samaritans, they go tear their temple down. And for years, the Samaritans hold that against the Jews. You tore down our place of worship. All that putting this parable of the Good Samaritan into context. Jewish man is walking along this road from Jerusalem to Jericho on the way of the blood. He gets beat up by some robbers. A priest passes by and does nothing. A Levite passes by and does nothing. And then a Samaritan of all people, the Samaritan stops to help the Jewish man. Last person on earth that you would assume would stop to help the Jewish man. So if I'm not familiar with this story, I might have the assumption, you know what? I think the Samaritan came to finish off the job. Maybe he stopped for the Jewish man to pull out a, a knife and slit his throat and say, make that a message to your people. Maybe he stopped for the Jewish man to kick him while he's down to say, I hope it hurts even more because you hurt my family, you hurt my people. I want this to be a message to, to who you are and to your family. But that's not what happens. The Samaritan stops, he shows pity on the Jewish man on the side of the road. And furthermore, the story continues on. Jesus says this in verse 34, he went to him. The Samaritan went to the Jewish man, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Jesus tells this whole story to the expert of the law who had just asked the question, who's my neighbor, Jesus? Who, who am I supposed to love? Jesus says, all right, I got a priest, I got a Levite, I got a Samaritan. Sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Like <laughs> a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan walked into a bar. That's not what he said. Priest, Levite, Samaritan. Samaritan's the only guy that stops to help the guy on the side of the road. And then Jesus goes back to the expert of the law and says, you asked who the neighbor is? Who do you think the neighbor is? Of those three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, who do you think is the neighbor? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The guy that tore down your temple, go love him. The guy that was hurtful and hateful to you and your people, go love him. Your neighbor might not just be the person who happens to live in the house next door to yours. Your neighbor could be any person that you come into contact, whether you like that person or not, whether you got beef with that person or not. You are called, we are called to love people regardless of whatever they've done to us. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this in. We are called to love everyone, even if we don't feel like it. We are called to love everyone, even if we don't want to. And we are called to love everyone, even if others don't. We are called to love everyone, period. Yet, I would presume there's people here this morning, and if you're honest, there's people you don't want to love. 
people that you don't love, feel like they're not worthy of it. They said something, they did something, they disqualified themselves from your love. Sometimes it takes a little while for it to sink in, for Jesus' words to say, hey, we should, we should value all people, we should love all people. Sometimes it takes a little while for it to sink into our hearts, to sink into our minds, even for Peter. Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, he was with Jesus at the very beginning when, when Jesus started recruiting his disciples. Peter was there for three years of Jesus' teaching, going from town to town, village to village, hearing over and over about loving others, loving our, our enemies, loving our neighbors. Peter heard this for years. Peter probably heard about the rumors when Jesus was on the cross and Jesus looked down at the people who were put him on the cross and said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Peter probably heard about how his body was put into the tomb. Three days later, he came out of the tomb. Then Jesus had a conversation with his remaining disciples, Peter being one of them and say, hey, guys, now it's your turn. You've seen me. You've watched me. I've equipped you for three years. Now it's your turn. You get up and you go and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Surely I'm with you always till the very end of the age. But you go and you make disciples. Peter heard all of that. But it wasn't until years later when it was documented in Acts chapter 10. Peter says this. He says, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter for years had been walking and talking and learning from Jesus, but it took him years for it to sink into his mind where he says, I now get it. Finally, I get it. God doesn't show favoritism. I finally get it. God welcomes people from all nations. Now I understand. God tells us we should love everybody. It took him years for that to sink in. And for some of us in this room, it still hasn't sunk in because there's people that you refuse to love. Because of something they've done to you, something they said, something that they, they came after you with. I don't want to be somebody who says, hey, it's a value for me to love God and love others. But then I say, oh, there's an asterisk on the others. I'm only going to love some others. That's why I love this particular congregation. I value the church, the bride of Christ. But I also value this particular congregation because there's some people here that just re really get it, really understand it. There's a team of people about a year ago that went from this group, from Pinion Hills. They went to Haiti. And, and Haiti has been ravaged by hurricanes and and earthquakes, and so there's, there's 15 people that left this church to go down to Haiti to rebuild a school so kids could just have a place where they could get education. And while they were down there, they met a woman named Jetta and her son. I think we have a picture of Jetta. Uh, this is her. This is the, 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 the woman and her son that a bunch of people from our church met. And in their discussions that they had with Jetta, this whole team was there to build a school. But while they were, they were building a school, they met, met Jetta, and they found out that, that she lived in, in a home. I, would, I wouldn't necessarily call that a home. I would call that a mud hut. When you go home today, wherever you go, whether it's a home or an apartment, even a trailer park, whatever it may be, whatever you're living in is luxury compared to what Jetta and her family were living in. So the team here from Pinion Hills had compassion for Jetta and her family. They said, you know what? We're down here rebuilding a school. Why not help rebuild your house? And so they spent some time and they rebuilt the house. And here's the, the extreme home makeover version <laughs> of their home. They, they built a home for her. They built a walkway going from the street up to her house. It was something that was just more, she could have more pride in her home, something she could be more excited about, about raising her family. After they had renovated her home, they invited Jetta and said, hey, can we pray for you? And the whole team gathered around and they, they laid hands on Jetta and they prayed for her. Now here's, here's the crazy thing about this story. 15 people from this church paid $2,100 each to go down there to Haiti for that trip. Now why would somebody do that? 
Not everybody, you know, pulls out a checkbook. Some of them you know, maybe have that in the bank account. They just write a check and say, here's my $2,100 to go on this mission trip. Other people would have to, you know, some of them did like a, a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter campaign. They sent out letters of support to their family and friends. And so maybe they didn't all come up with the $2,100, but they had to figure out how, how to get that money to be able to go on this trip. And all 15 of them, $2,100 to go on this trip. So whether somebody's helping them financially or not, they've all put in the time and the effort and the resources and the finance to make this trip happen to go build a house for a woman like Jetta. Now, why would somebody do that? Well, the answer is simple. Jetta is our neighbor. She doesn't live in a mud hut next to your mansion, but every person that you and I will lock eyes with matters to God. Every person you and I ever encounter, whether right across your street or across the, the, the oceans, wherever we happen to be going, wherever we happen to be uh, having life take us and God take us in our lives, every person that you and I lock eyes with matters to God and therefore should be our neighbor, whether we like them or not, whether they're like us or not, whether they have the same background, the same culture as us or not, whether they've wronged us or not, we are called to love everybody at all times. That's the challenge which is hard because when somebody does something against you, you don't have the natural inclination to say, hey, I, I'm going to love you despite what you've done to me. But here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, red letters of the Bible, he says this, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's how we're gonna wrap up our time together this morning. We're gonna wrap up in, in a moment of prayer. Here's what I want you to, to think about. Who do you not want to pray for? That's who we're praying for. Who in your life do you feel is unworthy of your prayers, unworthy of your love? Who in your life may, may be categorized in the enemy category? Somebody who's persecuted you, somebody who's burned down your temple, somebody who's burned down your thoughts, your opinions. Who do you not want to pray for? We're called to pray for our enemies, to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. I don't want to be somebody who just says, hey, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's talk about it. I want to be somebody who says, I want to I live that out. Our core values, we value all people. We value the church because it's, it reaches all people. But I don't want to have all people really mean some people. I don't want to have to, to quantify or qualify Jesus' statement. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Because I love those people. I'm not going to love other people. We are called to love everybody. So as we wrap up this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to pray, pray along with me. And I want you to be praying for the person whom you least would want to pray for. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for this church. I thank you for every church in this area, every preacher, every pastor who is communicating God's word this morning. God, thank you for that, for that congregation. Thank you for that preacher. I thank you for Pinion Hills Community Church, the fact that even though it's snowing outside, it's still a value, it's still a priority for all these people who chose to come here this morning. God, thank you for each one of them. God, I pray in this moment that you would plant in each one of our hearts, each one of our minds, who is it that's difficult to love? Who do we not want to love? God, will you place that person's name on our minds right now? Will you bless that person? Will you speak to that person? Will you, will you soften that person's heart? 
that they would come to a relationship with you. Father, would you soften my heart, our hearts, God. Even though it's difficult to love people sometimes, I pray that we can not be people who talk about it, but people who do it. God, I I pray that even though we feel weak at times, that you can give us strength. I pray even though we lack the desire sometimes, that you would give that to us. People would know that we are your disciples because of how we love. God, so these people that you've placed on our hearts and our minds, will you, will you bless them? Will you bring them closer to you? May you encourage them. May they come to a complete relationship with your son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Lord of lords, their King of kings. God, we thank you for your, your grace. God, we thank you for your forgiveness for us because we, we realize we have wronged you, yet you still love us. Thank you, God. It's in your son's name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned earlier, I have a love for all the congregations and all the churches that are preaching God's word, and that is a value of ours. But I do have a, a, a passion and a, and a love for this particular congregation. And if you happen to be new to Pinion Hills Community Church, we want to give you the opportunity where you can get to know us a little bit better. I know this is a big church, but we want to give you the chance to get to know us. So we have what's called Pinion Hills Connect. Immediately following the service over in the student center, you can walk over there. We have lunch prepared for you. So if you'd like to, to meet my family, meet my kids, meet some of the staff, so you can put names and roles uh, with faces and all that, you're welcome to come and join us. It's about an hour long from 1145 to 1245, and then you can take off. Anyway, so it's a great way. It's like Pinion Hills 101. Great way to get to know us a little bit better and be able to ask whatever questions that you have. Also, for all the ladies in the room, we are, are resuming, I say we, you ladies, are resuming your Bible studies starting tomorrow and Thursday. Mondays and Thursdays, we're, we're going through, the ladies are going through a Bible study for the book of David, or the character of David in the Bible, and, and it's a study called Chase. Uh, both Monday and Thursday are identical, so you can go to either one, pick whichever one works for you, but you can do life with other women as you study God's word together. Also for the young moms, Pinion Hills Moms is starting to meet up again this coming Thursday, so for any information for the women's stuff, there's in, uh, a table set up in the plaza where you can get more information for the Bible studies and for Pinion Hills Moms. Also, I mentioned earlier, life groups are starting up. We need more life group leaders. If you're interested in leading one of those discussions, see Pastor Tim in the plaza as well when you leave. Uh, I also have a free gift for people that are, are uh, interested in getting to, to maybe have a high five or a hug from me. So I would love to welcome you to our church. Free gift over there. Prayer up here. Uh, prayer is free. We don't charge for prayer. So feel free to come on up here for prayer. Thank you so much for joining us and braving the weather outside. We appreciate it. And as you leave here today, I just want to let you know that we should not show favoritism. Every person you lock eyes with matters to God. They should matter to you too. Let's love everybody and all people. Thank you for joining us this morning. We'll see you soon. God bless. Just